Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, a horror video game podcast and proud member of Bloody Disgusting's Bloody FM Podcast Network. This week, I'm your host, Neil Bolt, as Jay is under the weather. But fear not, as I have enlisted the help of a guest for this month's Horror Bites segment. Uh, so Horror Bites, as you know, is our monthly indie horror segment in which we highlight several bite-sized slices of horror that take up to around an hour or two at the most. And while some of these titles we'll be discussing may be free, we believe it's important to support the developers' hard work, so if you can, please support them through their Itch.io, Steam, or Patreon pages, in whichever way you can. And filling in for Jay this week, because no, it's not going to be me for an hour rambling to myself, uh, aren't you blessed, is a returning friend of the show uh, and DreadXP writer, Ian Marvin. Hello, Ian. Welcome back to the show. Oh, yeah, brother. It's good to be back. Thank you for having me on again. <laughs> That's a cool Hulkamaniac style uh, <laughs> one. Yeah, it's, you know, this is, um, I was just saying to you beforehand, this is kind of like your niche, your expertise. You know, you, you are on the, uh, finger on the pulse, I would say, when it comes to this sort of stuff. So this is going to be really fascinating to sort of have your insight into these games and some of the games you've picked. I do take pride in tracking down tiny terrors. That is a fact. Tiny terrors. Yeah. I know. That's like, that is like one of the fun passions that's come out of this last year of doing this has been finding these small games and going, Oh, yeah, this is delightful. And, you know, I it ended like last year with stuff like Go Fly Kite being one of my favorite games of the year. And it was like a 10, 15 minute experience, which just shows you can do anything if you really try. Um, so you have four picks. I have two, but also I have Jay's two, which we're also going to discuss. Um, but, you know, as you are the guest, I think it's only fair that we kick off with your first pick. So what will you pick first? So I'm going to go through mine from least impressive to most impressive and to start off was a game that i really wanted to be impressed by i fell in love with the aesthetics before the gameplay and that game is called nosferatu's revenge it is a free game on itch.io by bitgen games and it is trying to capture a little bit of that castlevania nostalgia you can agree that it sure looks a lot like castlevania right Mm. And it yeah, sure it really sounds does. a lot like Castlevania. Really good soundtrack by uh, oh, the funky. really good soundtrack <laughs> that I really enjoyed. Um, and that's where the similarities end because it looks like Castlevania and it sounds like Castlevania, but every aspect of the gameplay does feels nothing like Castlevania. And that was the first thing I noticed was how quickly my dude gained speed. And how quickly he attacked and how quickly the enemies came at me. It felt like playing, playing Super Mario Brothers with a whip as opposed to Castlevania. Castlevania are nice, I would put it as. Almost. <laughs> Absolutely. Castlevania the Hedgehog. You're just blowing through the level as fast <laughs> as you can. Well, that would be fun. Yeah, be <laughs> but uh, it got to a point as I was playing where the levels are so quick and so breakneck that I was making actions in anticipation of things off screen. As soon as I got mm. the axe, I was just running through the level and I would know I'd be like, run, jump over spikes, throw an axe, because by the time the axe reaches the end of the screen, the wizard's going to pop up and you're going to hit him and then run, jump, double jump over the thing. And while I thought it was a fun game, I do think that the problem lies not in the gameplay itself, but the level design, because it mm. seems like they've taken this slidey fast, frenetic gameplay, and they've built the levels as though it was Castlevania. And I came across a few points where in Castlevania, you could execute two perfect 
little hop jumps. Anyone who's played Castlevania yeah. knows that beautiful McDonald's arch he takes whenever he jumps. And that's just not here at all. <laughs> there's so much momentum to the jumping and such where there's certain situations where if you jump and stop, you cannot complete the next jump. And every time that happened, all I thought was just like, did this guy ever play Castlevania? Or did he just like see a Nintendo Power ad and was like, that looks cool. I'm going to try and copy that. Yeah. I mean, is that that's often the problem when you get these homages on itch.io of different kinds, you know, that there's wanting to sort of recreate what you think in your memory might be a game and then it doesn't quite turn out or you don't have the chutzpah to really get across your point of how you're doing it. Uh, I don't, when you say about the level design, the thing that really caught with me straight away was like, it reminded me of being a kid and like drawing out a level on a piece of paper. When you could, you know, when, cause I used to read magazines where they like do strip by strip by strip of the entire level like that. And it looked like that almost in that you could always see that it's like, oh, we'll do a bit straight here. Oh, we need to do a bit that's a bit elevated here. So we'll do a bit. Elevated. It's like you could see it was just like a bunch of shapes put together and then things put in afterwards rather than sort of care and thought to the pace and progression of the level as it should be, which, you know, it's understandable with a lot of these sort of games where you do have experimental things or people just doing it for the first time so you know it's, it's a mistake that's easy to make it's not the worst thing that could happen to it at the end of the day i think it, it does have something to it as you say you know i think the music you know i'm always going to give a little forgiveness for any game that has some really good music and you know this really does so that's good and at the end of the day, I'm a I'm the last person who will ever harp on somebody a solo dev making a project just because exactly. I found faults. Because uh, I've got an astounding zero games under my belt, so I'm not <laughs> the person to judge. But um, I do agree with what you were saying about the level design, because Castlevania especially is known for its like extremely tight level design that really mm. elevates the gameplay, and that's just what was lacking here. It felt like they had this not bad mechanic at all like the controls aren't bad at all they just feel out of place and then they built a level that they thought felt like it was in castlevania not taking into account the fact that your character is wearing nike air jordan ones and runs super fast (laughs) that's it and i think you know the nicest compliment you could play i suppose is that it kind of reminds you of those games around that time that copied castlevania but sort of felt slightly off so in a way, it's kind of faithful, you know, because, you know, it is a game trying to be Castlevania that isn't Castlevania. So, yeah, it, like you could imagine someone picking it up by accident, you know, when they were younger thinking it was Castlevania and like it ends up becoming their favorite game because they can't play many <laughs> games and you know, they get used to all the little eccentric touches that are in there. So, yeah, if you hadn't played a Castlevania before, it would, you wouldn't know. I would say, so, you know, as a game, it works. That's what matters, which is, the basics, you know, it just has those little things that need improving. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, okay. That's a, a, a slight low point to start, but you know, not too bad. I'd say, um, probably slightly lower for the brief mention we're going to give this next one, uh, which is my, um, one of my picks, unfortunately, as well. So, uh, which is Frightliner Express by Gyro Sensation, uh, which, you know, straight away, I must say, has a very cool, intro sort of title scene thing you know with the noise and like the very classic game boy color sort of vibes it's going for um it's basically supposed it has a story but i have to say i don't none of us saw it um 
One night, Cameron was apparently heading home on the subway when a mysterious event occurred. Can you figure out what happened to Cameron and escape this nightmare alive? Now, I'd love to, uh, and I'm sure we all would love to, but we all seem to get stuck on the start of the game, which is a man juggling. And that was it, really. You, you extend his arm left and right, with the, but you can't extend the other arm. And juggling these balls, you fail and nothing else happens. And I don't know if I just got rustled here or not, but Ooh. it's okay. <laughs> so I... <laughs> 100% got rustled to the point where I was like, are you fucking kidding me, man? <laughs> I was so mad. You have to get to 15 points before it continues the game. No matter That's how crazy. many times you fail or how long it takes, it will not start the game until you get to 15 points. And that's why I was, I got past that part out of sheer like, no one's going to make Ian look like an idiot. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I finally got through. And I, I think the, what came after was what was actually more frustrating to me is the fact that the, the, the aesthetics of the game look great. And I really do think that mm. they nail the Game Boy vibe. I think that that ends on an aesthetic level though, because the audio for the game was driving me up a wall. It sounds like some late 80s home computer noises, not yeah. like nothing from a, an NES or Game Boy sound card. And there was a point when I was just like, you clearly took so much effort with the uh, the pixel perfect presentation and the the color schemes and such. There's a couple colors yes. not in the Game Boy colors palette, but not an extreme amount. Hmm. But the gameplay itself wasn't enough to keep me listening to this constant barrage of dial-up tones, essentially. And mm. I reached a point where I was running in circles in this building trying to find the next item to progress, and they were just constantly badgering me with this. And there comes a point in the game where they just start dropping enemies on you. And I made a, an extremely unprofessional decision of just like, I cannot keep listening to this. And I muted it for a little bit, and then after a while I was like, I'm just going to move on to the next game, man. <laughs> That's unfortunate. Um, so yeah, not really much more to say about that, unfortunately. Um, so I suppose the only advice to be given here is maybe don't start your game with a, a mandatory 15. <laughs> exactly. 15 if it juggling thing. Started the game when you lost. Cause I like the idea. A uh, perfect example. Yeah. Analog Horror Nightmare Collection had a game in it called Consume where you start playing an N64 game. And when you die in that, it pans out and you're in a house that's like yeah. realistic. And I, I like that concept. I like the game within a game. I like that kind of meta building. So the idea of like, oh, you're playing a game and watch on the train and that's how the game starts. I like that. But I didn't come here to play a game and watch game. So the idea of forcing me to get to 15 points when it does nothing for the story, which actually, who knows? Maybe at the end of the game, the final demon's like, I am juggle Beelzebub. <laughs> Can you juggle 15 balls to send me back to hell? And then maybe eggs on my face about that. But yes, it, it, if you're going to do that, then make sure people can reach it easily. I mm -hmm. think. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, just with the fact of trying to fit eight games into a short period of time, even short ones like this, it's like you kind of have to go. Well, I need to get to the next one. Really, it's like yeah, so. It's not good. Yeah, you know, when the idea of this is punchy, short, nothing really pushing you to get in your way too much. Mm. But, but hey ho. Let's um, move on to your second pick well, then. One last note about that. I do think a lot of promise is shown. And he clearly has an eye for design. And, you know, the game functions. 
I think it's very much like, hey, man, this one wasn't the banger you'd hoped it would be, but I'm certainly paying attention. And future projects are certainly going to get a slice of my time to see what you're cooking up. There you go. See, that's a nice way to end it, actually. That's a good one. So, yeah, sorry. Back to it. Your second pick. What do you got? So I got a super teeny tiny game that I actually really enjoyed called Harvest Festival 64. Mm. It came out as part of a game jam, and it was a combo between – it was for the Ludum Dare game jam, and it was a combo between Modus Interactive and Warkus. And it's that perfect size where it plays as long as it takes to read a good creepy pasta. and there's not much to it. The whole plot is basically you show up in town, you're the new guy, and everyone's so excited for the Harvest Festival on Friday – And of course, because you're a nice new neighbor, you're going to spend all week helping out your new friends and get ready for the Harvest Festival. But little do you know that the Harvest Festival is super freaky and fucked up. And that's (laughs) really all of it. I think it's a very fun, short thing to play through. It succeeds at maintaining dread without relying on super cheap jump scares. And I think it's also an excellent introduction for people. Maybe they're younger. Maybe they're just not into horror to show them that, hey, in the world of indie horror titles, especially these smaller titles, it's not all going to be Slender the Eight Pages or like Five Nights at Freddy's. Sometimes people just do silly little fun games. Yeah, that's it. You know, obviously the sort of influence point is, you know, Harvest Moon slash Animal Crossing. Um, which is a great sort of way to tap into this sort of vibe of, you know, a lot of horror does this now in small games, especially where, you know, the idea is like take something that was nice and child friendly and fuck it up. And that's perfect. Um, it, there have been many great examples of that. And this really does it in a way that is part parody and part creepypasta, as you said. And it works really well. You know, the idea of like do this mundane stuff that really you wouldn't be doing in an ordinary situation it's just because the games like animal crossing will work like that it's like oh i need this stuff to do this stuff can you help me you do it the day ends your next day comes you do another thing it's like but having this sort of hook of knowing that it's going to be going weird and like before you even reach that final day like you you can find a body sort of face down in the water (laughs) yeah uh, over in the corner which is like I didn't realize what I'd seen the first time until I came back to it on another day. And I was like, oh, I'm no, a, that's, that's. I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure that's the person whose house you took as well. <laughs> it's even better. Ah, uh, that's great. But that sort of ending, that sort of talking about it too much, obviously, because it'd be nice for people to experience it. But the way it just starts going and, you know, and changing ever so slightly without it being telegraphed pretty well that much is fantastic i really enjoyed that you know it really sort of felt disturbing in a way that suited what they were doing and yeah as you said it's very creepypasta-esque mm. in terms of what goes on with it but yeah you can keep it simple with that and it can work a dream you know it's the old jump scare talk isn't it it's like jump scares can be bad they can be tired but you know doesn't mean they can't still get you mm-hmm. if they're done right and you know this is, applies to this kind of horror do it right. Doesn't matter how simple it is. It's sweet. No, I absolutely agree with that. And because like, I, yeah, like I said, the, the dread building up and not having an overabundance of cheap jump scares, like none of this would have been scary if the moment you get to the harvest festival, it's just like Bleh, a skeleton. Look at that pumpkin. Yeah. Whoa. Like, and everything <laughs> popped up on you. But the fact that you, you just get dropped into this 
uh, disturbing environment and nothing pops out at you. You just like take in all the sights you're seeing and then you start wandering around and seeing everything else. And I just kept waiting for that whatever was going to happen. And it just kept yeah. building up and building up. And when it ended, I was just like, wow, that got to me way more than I expected it to. You know, I kind of like <laughs> checked my heart rates and I was like, I was actually getting a little freaked out by that. And um, for something so short made by just two people over the course of 72 hours. I know. It's always mad. Yeah. I mean, I find that's always mad with these when you find these game jam ones and they've been done in like two, three days and you're like, it's crazy. I, could, I couldn't even get past the thinking stage you know, <laughs> you know of a game but uh, but that's just yeah and i should note stuff. completely developed by Warkus in 72 hours modus interactive supplied music and that was it that was it so yeah. one so person threw this together in three days which is fantastic to hear okay so we'll have one more before we get to the break point um and i'll pick one of jay's because that's a you know we can keep him here with us in spirit um so i will go with the red abyss deep below by Karina Kubarova. Um, this is a game about a detective in an underwater city, uh, Atlan. Um, basically, this detective is on a case where the mayor's wife has disappeared and you're supposed to go find her. But of course, she's in this place that's not particularly great where there's this big gaping mortar hell in the middle of town where people live around it and all this stuff, which is showing you how fucked up and it's going to be that, oh, yeah, they're just living with this big hell hole in the middle of town and nothing's being done without it. But yet it goes into this sort of slow descent to hell. It's a sort of side scrolly thing. And it, it pretty much goes at a pace that makes sense. You know, it, you are just going on through the motions of the story and stuff just gradually happens. There's a little bit of interactivity. So it's very light point and click stuff. Um, but there's not really any puzzles or anything like that. It's just using that method to tell the story. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'd, I think even though the visuals are very simple and the animations, you know, the characters are very, you know, it's rectangular in their limbs and stuff. It, it works quite well. It's like, um, yeah, it's like a paper man version of Lone Survivor in terms of like feel. I, I got there in a way you have just everyone looks like they've been those, um, puppets you used to make out of paper where you put like those pins in the arms and make yeah. them like that and it's great i like that kind of adds something to it on the note of the aesthetics one thing i want i noted or one thing i've written here is i i truly feel like the pixelated look the rectangular characters was holding it back because when you see in the the cut scenes there's clearly like a style that mm. the uh the artist has and then you transition back into gameplay and that style is completely lost frankly you can see that they have like a good sense of design like the environments look great but for me being a little retro snob the things i look for (laughs) when people use pixels and things like that is a sense of nostalgia or a sense of hearkening back um a game that we'll get to later did it really well i think but in this case it truly felt like it was a A shortcut, not in a bad way, because making games is hard and shortcuts are okay. Mm. But I felt like if this had cooked a little longer and he could have brought some of the style that we saw in the cutscenes into the gameplay, it would have helped make it a more cohesive, not story, of course, the story's unaffected, but a more cohesive entire package. Yeah, I can see what you mean, because it does feel like a shortcut in a way, because there's a bit where you sort of have to walk up 
like a slightly elevated pathway and it doesn't feel right at all. You know, it's like it doesn't move right, doesn't look right. And it does feel like that point was like sort of cobbled together to just make it happen and work. And it's like, you didn't have to. You you could have got away with just... But it's that little bit of tinkering where you think they may have got into it thinking, well, there's a lot of backwards and forwards on, you know, very flat planes. Maybe they do something a bit different. But rather than do stairs, which I would imagine would have been even more of a nightmare for that, but, you know, to go with that gradual path, almost, yeah, tinkering slightly too far, what you could have just done a very simple punchy thing, considering how short it is, you didn't need to have that sort of little bit that did, as you say, to sort of point out the, the big difference between that and when the game really shows off the, the sort of visual style at its best. Um, yeah, and those, those scenes outside of that are really good and do really sort of convey the story in a good way and there's moments like that in the game proper as well i think that sort of that long corridor towards the end that you that you take is quite impressive i think um but yeah it's it's definitely one that could do a bit of work in the uh, sort of controllable parts of the game mm-hmm. and again with the with the previous game but I do think it did a lot of things really well. I liked the the world and the story. The I felt like the anachronism of having some sci-fi elements in there wasn't really necessary. But no. at the end of the day, who am I to tell someone how to envision their world for their stories and such? Exactly. But I, I really liked it. I really liked this feeling almost like kind of Lynchian of things that are so outside of the realm of possibility in a world that mimics our own. And everyone in the world is just like... Yeah, that's just Tuesday, you know? I go to work, I drive past the big red hole that goes to hell, or that, that is evil, and then I go about my day. The fact that, like, the detective sees it and he's just like, yeah, that's bad. That and the undersea element, uh, like, very underplayed in a way. I think it's like, I, it didn't really sort of catch up with me until you get to that last section. You see the stuff past the window and you think, what is that? And it's like, it wasn't until I read the description afterwards, like, oh, it's supposed to be underwater. It's like, but I think that's just because being a short game, not always easy to sort of convey those things. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it still looked nice. Again, it's it's one of those things like the uh, the sci-fi element where it adds to the world, but not to the story. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, I'm literally the last person to do, who should say anything about that. Because whenever I write short stories, I'm definitely the guy who's doing that sort of thing. Oh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> um, that's it. But I think it's another case of like... I'm I'm paying attention to what this guy's doing. He's clearly has a style that he's executing. I hope in the future the style in his art can make its way into the gameplay. But mm. other than that, you know, like these people, there's more and more coming out of the woodworks who are executing really cool ideas. And I think something like Red Abyss with more scale, more budget, and in my opinion, more gameplay variety could absolutely become like a full-fledged point-and-click adventure up there with the rest of them. I think the idea of an underwater, anachronistic, science, like a retro-futuristic world with this, with these like uh, horror elements would Mm. absolutely kill it with a lot of people. Yeah, I think it does just combine a lot of sweet spots, you know, in terms Mm -hmm. of what people like. And, you know, something that takes the whole Bioshock idea but makes it, it's very much its own is is very welcome i think because you know, it'd be very easy to just do bioshock you know, in that case but yeah it, it definitely 
distances itself enough from that. Maybe a little too much in the sense you don't know it's underwater, but <laughs> still. <laughs> but as I said, the full game could make that a bit more obvious, so that's fine. Um, so before we get to your next pick, we're going to have a quick break. And we are back with the second half of Horror Bites. And Ian, we are on to your next pick. So my next pick, I I actually found out about this title because I interviewed the developer about his upcoming game, which he had been working on before this came out. And this came out as a like offshoot for a game jam. It's called Out of the Blue. And it's made by, please forgive my pronunciation, Bozzo Attila. Uh, <clears throat> Bozzo Attila Bertold. He is a Hungarian dev, and he has been working on a title called Repose for about two years now. And for a game jam, he made this little offshoot to solidify the ideas and the gameplay mechanics and kind of make a uh, a working test of sorts. So out of the blue, at first glance, for people who are familiar with computer RPGs, you're probably going to start playing it and think that this is something in line with like Eye of the Beholder or old tile-based dungeon crawlers. But that would be completely out of pocket. What it is, in fact, is a disguised puzzle game. Because when you start playing, everything is determined by the amount of energy you have. The amount of steps you can take, the amount of shots you can fire, all of it ties into this energy. And when you run out, you respawn at the bonfire, Dark Souls style. And similar to Dark Souls, anything you find out on your trip when you respawn stays with you. But enemies do respawn and such. So you have to think smart. Whenever I was playing, I would start, I would take a look at what I had. If I could make tea, I'd make tea. I'd restock my bullets. I'd take a look at my map and then do my best to count out the steps and try and find a place I hadn't been before. And that gameplay mechanic was really interesting, especially when you start to get low on your energy and you start having to make more conservative choices of, hey... Do I shoot this guy knowing that takes an energy to move past him? Or do I risk the fact that going this way that doesn't have an enemy may take more steps, negating the point entirely? And having to make those choices I thought was really interesting. And it is a rather short game. From the get-go, the game even says, like, hey, you can't save. It's short. Don't worry about it. But Mm -hmm. I really liked it, despite the fact that it's a very bare-bones story of just, like, I woke up in a maze. I got to get out. I do think that it really got me with that gameplay loop. And while nothing in the game itself was super freaky, there were legit moments where I started to get a little freaked out because I was just like, oh, geez, man, I'm down to like six HP. I haven't, or I'm down to six energy. I haven't done anything during this run and I'm moving and I'm seeing enemies on both sides. And then that thing of just like, what do I do? It really got to me in a way that I very much enjoyed. And uh, frankly, after playing Out of the Blue, after speaking with him about it, I think it's also a good preview to see if you would be interested in his upcoming title, Repose. Yeah, well, I'm definitely going to be looking to that now because one of the things that stuck out to me about it was that sort of um, 32-step system. Because the first thing it brought to mind was turn-based strategy yeah, and like having action points. And you know, you know you've got to think about how you use those minute action points in any given turn. You know, so been playing Midnight Suns again recently and you know that has that system as well and yeah just trying to think of how to best maximize what you have in any one turn is so essential and having that in this you know in a more long form way was really interesting you know 
I mean, long form in terms of like how you use that action point star mechanic rather than the game, but mm-hmm. it, it just made it like a, you know, a more broad, it broadened it as an idea. It, were, it felt like a bigger, more intimidating version of it. We were like, you feel like you've got a lot at that point when you start out. You're like, yeah, 32, that works. I can do this, this, and this. And before you know it, shit, run out of turns like that. It's so easy to sort of fall in that trap of like, being a move thinking you're a step ahead and being two behind and yeah i think it really does that nicely i think the visual style as simple as it is still look i like the um sort of blue vibe that it's going for as well and some of the enemy designs quite cool as well yeah i just think it does something very interesting in general with this sort of like fusing different ideas and using them in very imaginative ways you know like i said to use that sort of action point style mechanic in a way like this is I can't think of another game that does it I can't which is you know hugest credit you give something you know when you get a mechanic like this and go oh I'd like to see that used in some way I suppose on the other end of it it's like the simplifying of what you do in something like say super hot you know where you had that puzzle in itself where you it's a shooter but it's a puzzle game you know and this sort of is that middle ground between that and what a, a turn-based strategy game would do. And so, sweet spot, straight away. Things I love, done in a game like this. The microcosm of it, sweet as. Gotta love it. No, absolutely concur. And yeah, I, right there with you. The When you first leave the camp, you're like, 32 steps? I could make it all the way to New York City, baby. <laughs> and then 10 steps later, you start to realize, you look at the map and you're just like... I didn't think about this at all. <laughs> I was trapped. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really like that. And like you said, I, I legit can't think of another game that does it the same way. Even other people I talked to making similar dungeon, t- like tile set dungeon crawlers with horror themes always tend to have those RPG mechanics. Yeah. And when I spoke with Attila, one thing he specifically said for the reason why he didn't want that, and I really dug this as somebody who hoards items in horror games, is he said he wanted to be able to control the tension at every moment for the player. And that sounded awesome to me because I don't know about you guys, when I play Silent Hill or Resident Evil, I'm always scraping by the entire game. And then the (laughs) the last 10% of it, I'm just like shooting grenades and magnums. (laughs) Oh, I got a paper cut. Better use a first aid spray on that. Like no... Like, no preservation at all. So to hear that a horror game is just not not just willing, but is going to just strip you of that. No matter how yes. well you play, no matter how smart you are, you will always go into the next stage with just the right amount of supplies for that stage. Um, and I think it's perfectly executed here. I think if his point was to make a blueprint for his future game, he succeeded, like, on all levels. Um, I had a lot of fun with that one in a genre that I don't typically go out of my way to play. So out of the four games, this is one of the two that I'm like, yes, it is absolutely worth your time. Fantastic. Right. So I will now pick Jay's second pick, which is Elevated Dread by Underground, which is a great name. Um, In this, you are a regular child who just can't wait to get his first salary from putting up flyers on people's apartment doors. Unfortunately, this apartment that he chooses has something creeping the halls and you basically end up in a cat and mouse chase with some freaky being. 
something that has been done many times, of course, you know, it's the, the horror Pac-Man, if you'd like to call it that, you know, where you're just sort of trying to get around doing what you're doing whilst avoiding the ghosts you know, or monster in this case. I like how it's kind so, of the anti-Slender. Instead of collecting pages, you're putting up pages. That's it. Yeah, that's it. And, you know, Slender, again, is just like that. Isn't it? It's like, do this, do your thing, avoid the thing coming after you. Perfect. It can be done in so many ways. And it, it kind of feels mad to say that it's like Pac-Man in that regard. But, you know, Pac-Man is like the spiritual center of any game that takes that, you know, and goes with it. But here, you know, the problem it could have had straight away would be, well, you know, we've seen it done. What can you do? You know, it's like, and one, you're a child. So it gives you an excuse for vulnerability straight away. Because obviously the, the chase and hide mechanic of horror games, I'm not always a fan of that. But if it has meaning and you, you give a real threat to what's happening, I can be totally on board with it. So I like that here, that at least they are giving you the out straight away saying, well, you're a child. What would you do? You know, like that. And, you know, I love the subtle nature of how the game from level to level at the beginning just sort of gives you normal floor, slightly not normal floor, what the fuck's going on. And then that corner you turn around and see the TV with the surveillance footage and the thing that's roaming the halls. And suddenly you understand why you could had these hiding spots you haven't been able to use yet. And yeah, the idea is then to sort of run around doing your job still, which I love the absurd nature of that you know carry on posting flyers uh, even though you're being chased by some sort of hellish creature but the building itself is really interesting because it is just like a very you know simple tower block building with scuzzy halls and the elevator feels a bit rickety even in the way it is with the noises are brilliant in that you know the sound effects really work well and it actually adds a real tension to going around and doing this thing that we've done a million times, which is, again, a great compliment you can give any game that does that now, because it's very hard to impress me in that regard. I'm usually frustrated by that idea. So, you know, it does a good job. How did you find it? I really enjoyed it. When I started playing it, I felt a weird nostalgia to, like, the early 2010s with the, mm. the way the game looked. Uh, just because that was around the time when like Amnesia got really popular and then everyone was making these kind of games. But I did really enjoy it. I do think it is uh, – I'll, I'll go out and say – I would say it's worlds better than most games in this category. Uh, like oh, you're going to hear me call them Slender Likes a lot. But I think that the developer who made it, he clearly has a good head for like player intentions and where the player is going to be looking and what they're going to be thinking. Uh, I'd say with the camera setup, like, of course, he I, I'm sure that it's not just always waiting. There's probably a contextual area based trigger that causes it to turn on. But he knows the player is going to be looking at that. When you see the creature reaching out from behind the door, he knows that's what's going to draw the player's attention and um, giving it that moment where it doesn't retreat until you approach it doesn't allow the player to just hide until the threat is gone. It makes them confront it. Which uh, really got me, actually. That guy's got too many <laughs> fingers. It freaked me out. But I really enjoyed that. It gets a little out there at the end. But I thought there was a lot of like really dread-inducing encounters. The TV, the door, that didn't rely on jump scares. Not that there aren't yeah. any. Like, spoiler, it ends on one. Mm. And uh, you can call the baby face a jump scare. You're going to have to play it to find out what it is, though. Because that part was weird. <laughs> <That's> it, <yeah. laughs> but I really liked it. 
And I really, like you said, I like the idea of it's all from the perspective of a kid and he has a job. It's so much better than just you press start, you're in a forest, find eight cassettes and get to the truck. The fact that you're like, you're a kid and it's balancing this like, well, the kid wants to get his money and kids, you know, he's maybe he's like getting in the mind of a kid. He's like, if I leave now, I'll get in trouble. I have to put these up. (laughs) And I really like that. And I like specifically that the mechanic of putting the flyer up takes a moment so that if you're being pursued or even if you're just freaking out thinking you're being pursued, that moment where you're putting the flyer up is going to feel so long when you don't know how safe you are at that moment. And I think he did a lot of really cool things with that. I think that, like I said, it's easily one of the best, more recent examples of that kind of go around an environment, Pac-Man style, like you said, and complete simple objectives. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. It's a great example, you know, of that. And yeah, the fact that it doesn't rely on jump scares for the most of the duration of the game is such a strong point because there's nothing more dread inducing than just seeing something casually, you know, and like that. I, I love that because it's done so well. I think one of my favorite examples in recent memory is the one in Amnesia Rebirth when you've been chased around for that whole level and like without ever seeing anything, you just like see glimpses of things and you're just walking down the stairs to get out and that thing just sort of wa- crawls across the beam in front of you and you're like, like that and it's like straight away you know that you're gonna have to leg it and just the way that's handled is perfect so whenever you find that in a game it's just my kind of thing you know i, I really like that in terms of like because that's always more intimidating always more scary i suppose you know as, as anything can be scary when you kind of get diluted by so many horror games but it is yeah it, it actually has moments of just unsettling do I have to keep playing this sort of thing? You know, like that. It's like, because you're an adult, you're not going to have the mindset of a child like that. So I don't need this money from putting up flyers. <laughs> it's like, I'll, just, I'll give you the money, kid. Fuck off out of there. You know, it's like, <laughs> but yeah, so that, it, did, it did the job nicely. So yeah, we, we can applaud that nicely. So um, we now move on to your final pick. Boy, oh boy. Don't Dig Up the Dead is a solid three, two, two thumbs up from me, and that's only held back by my human amount of limbs. This <laughs> game was very fun, very cool, and executed some really cool ideas that I, I thoroughly enjoyed every moment of this game. So Don't Dig Up the Dead has the player playing as a little stick man. It's got real uh, like ZX, Vec- uh, ZX Spectrum adjacent graphics. And it's got the simplest plot. You're wandering around the spooky forest. An old man says he needs three magic relics to stop the spooky. He gives you a shovel, a tool to find him, and he sets you out. But what he tells you is that you have this little thing going off, and it goes from blue to red. And it's like, do, 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 do it if you get close to a thing. And if you dig it up and it's not a relic, it unleashes a ghost. And the ghosts just roam around. So every time you mess up, there's more ghosts. And every time you touch a ghost, it brings you to a short shmup segment where you have to full-on, like, R-type fight this ghost. And as the game progresses, there is more to it than that. You're encouraged to explore as there's extra items that give you, like, extra boosts during the combat segments and such. And I... 
I dove into this thing and this is going to be a really fun, cool game. And when it ended, I was legitimately bummed because I wanted more of it. <laughs> uh, so that game, Don't Dig Up the Dead, I clicked it out of curiosity and I stayed out of just complete entertainment. I think it's one of the coolest little indie games. It absolutely nails the style. It absolutely excels at all the different gameplay mechanics it brings in. And it's just dang plain old fun, you know? Not every horror game needs to have you freaking out. Sometimes I like to go to sleep after I play a horror game. (laughs) And I think Don't Dig Up the Dead is a really cool game with macabre themes and tones. And the gameplay is just something straight out of an arcade almost. Yeah, I I fairly strongly agree with most of that. It's um, demented in the right way, you know? I just It takes something that it does have that sort of ZX Spectrum vibe, as you said. And subverts it slightly in a way that um yeah a lot there's some very popular indie horror games out there that do similar things in terms of like taking your expectation this is this game actually no it's not and it's a bit more subtle here i think the the bullet hell stuff works so well i fucking love bullet hell so you know just to have that in anything when it comes up is great and just just the surprise of that was, was amazing just like oh we're doing bullet hell now. That's great. And it's just the fact that it ties into everything. And like you said, the fact that the, the luck of the drawer in terms of what you dig up is like, ah, it could, you know, mess you up big time as you go further in. And yeah, it, it's again, really interesting approach to a normal kind of thing that we're used to. You know, it's like everything about it when you think about it does relate to a modern sort of bullet hell style shooter in terms of like you can find upgrades you can find this but that stuff's done outside of the actual combat and outside of it's like fusing two types of game together in a way that works thematically yeah and it just staggers you beyond belief that you're like it seems so simple to make this work together but it does it really does and you you don't understand how (laughs) but then you, you can never look at it again and think well no, it should. It should. Absolutely. After seeing this, why can't you make a an abstract bullet hell shooter that is basically, you know, go find this, go dig that up. But it's just astounding. You know, I, I really was sort of gobsmacked by the, the goal and the ambition of what they were doing there just to turn something so simple into something so complex, you know, in, in a very cheeky simple way weirdly you know absolutely and two other things i want to know one thing i really like the inventory management aspect of having to if you have too many items you have to dig a hole and bury one of them to free up a spot i thought that was great um but another thing i want to say to this game's credit is people in the indie horror space you're going to see a lot of games take retro aesthetics and apply them to modern game making Mm. like ideas and ideologies and such and so many people try and just take modern games and make them look old but don't dig up the dead wholeheartedly feels like an old game in like in most senses um and that's what blew me away about it was that it was like oh i i truly feel like i've stumbled into like a gem from the late 80s here and i just yeah i can't stop saying enough positive things about it it's another case where like i'm definitely paying attention to whatever comes from this and uh support the dev for 2 bucks you can get a collector's edition how cool is that yeah yeah it's more than worth that more than worth that so we are on to the final game of our little run here which is my one i, I 
selfishly left it last because I wanted to talk about it last, but um, that is Feet in the Snow by Abstract Machine. Um, the simple way of putting this is it's a point-and-click adventure that is set in a dream, basically, in the description of a dream to someone else. Um, it's basically someone talking, seems to be a psychiatrist, about their dream and like going for it in a back-and-forth way in the conversation, and then it's sort of being presented in front of you. And as a result, everything that happens in it has a dream logic to it, where it's like, you know, you go from a snowy path to suddenly you're in an alley, where, you know, this seedy back street sort of area like that, and then back out again into the mountains or something. It, it takes some weird paths, and then the character models in it have these, you know, white eye things, and every, they're selling strange, questionable things at their shops, and yeah, just everything about it works perfectly for me because I really love this stuff. You know, I really love the games that take dream logic and make them work, you know, and really understand what dream logic should be, you know, because it can be done so badly. Yeah. And such a misunderstanding made of it. Like it was all a dream, which is not what we're going for here, nor is it hallucination. It is really like, no, no, no. The name Abstract Machine is perfect for this developer because that's what they've made, an abstract machine. And it, you know, one game it reminded me of straight away, you know, you know it's completely different. It just it had that vibe. It was Norco, which, you know, is another sort of very avant-garde take, I suppose, on the point-and-click adventure that really sort of has this dread atmosphere and this weird, biz- you know, bizarre take on what we know yeah, as being the normal world. And here, you know, in very much the sense that it is not reality. And yeah, it just progresses in a really hypnotic way and is constantly being surprised by what it does in a nice, subtle way. I really just found myself falling in love with this one, I have to say. How about you? How do you do with this? So I didn't love it as much as you did, just for the sake of transparency, but I did really enjoy what it was doing. Mm. And I, I agree with what you were saying about the surrealness of the dream. One thing I liked about it is that it it does feel like a dream, and it doesn't feel like what somebody thinks a dream would feel like. There's nothing mm. so crazy out there. You know, some people are like, this game takes place in a dream. That's why there's a giraffe with a blimp for a head that's playing mariachi <laughs> music, because it's a dream. Oh, but this game legit felt like it all came from one place, one person's subconscious. And the, um, I think the thing that elevates this game for me, cause it's pretty standard point and click adventure stuff and it's elevated yeah. by this real atmosphere. But I really dug the art style here. And to make another comparison to the, to don't dig up the dead, it feels like it's just really nailing an era without yes. just using it as a gimmick. Because when I first started playing it, it really hit me with, like, 90s, not quite FMV, but still aiming for that realism point-and-click adventures. Yeah. Like, if you've, uh, have you ever played Amber Journeys Beyond? I haven't. No. All I could think about while I was playing this. It's a point-and-click adventure about ghosts. But the graphic style is very similar. And I really enjoy that they clearly understood how those games it seems like they understood how those games were made when they were emulating the style and they weren't just taking assets and slapping a pixel filter on them there was more care taken and put into it than that and i think out of all the things that is part of what kept me going was because i just wanted to see more of what he had made because i really enjoyed that he had 
just so thoroughly nailed the vibe of those late 90s point-and-click adventures. Absolutely, yeah. It, it was just magical to sort of have that. You know, um, you, you are absolutely correct that it has that. That's why I suppose Norco came to mind, because it's another game that kind of captures that idea of this game feels like it should have been made in the 90s, but there's something about it that doesn't, you know, and that's kind of the unsettling point, and this is the same, you know, and I, I was just, yeah, I have no more words for it. It's really difficult to sort of go into why that really appeals to me. I think it's just finding stuff that really gets the idea of dreams and like that scuzzy feeling you, you can get of them where you're like, it, it works perfectly. Yeah. And it's a, it's a hard game to talk about without just beat for beat going through the entire thing. Yes. I, um, I think, yeah, Feet in the Snow is definitely one that, from all of this, I would say the listener should absolutely take time to play. Because I think it's, I think it's, um, even if you're not a big fan of point-and-click adventures, it's not long. And I think that, like you said, it really executes the feeling of being in a dream well. In the sense that there's still this through line of logic, however warped, it's not just a million crazy ideas. Yeah. And that's what I liked about it. And the... um you know, the, the way that you, you end up in the market towards the end, like absolute dream logic. You're just, you just stumble in there. And the, the entire thing, I can't, you put, you hit the nail on the head. It absolutely nails the feeling of living out a dream without explicitly being like, Oh, wow. Isn't it so crazy that this is a dream? There's a pink elephant. Haha. Cause yeah, that's always that's the stuff it. that takes me out from dream games. Yeah. It's the mundane, yeah, which is always a great factor I find in indie horror, especially it's like taking the mundane and making it click and work and find those little niches within it that unsettle you, you know, in it, your everyday life and living. So yeah, it's definitely of a category in that respect. Okay. So we have gone through our full list here, which I think was a pretty damn strong bunch overall. Um, it's been wonderful to have you, Ian. Oh, it's Is been great to you- be here. Yeah. So, and is there anything you wanted to sort of shout out to uh, any handles you want to throw out there before we uh, depart? So frankly, the easiest way to keep track with what I'm up to is to find me on Twitter. My handle is retro radical, all one word. The majority of my work is with dread XP. I do a lot of interviews with people making small games like yeah. this and upcoming horror games. If you play out of the blue and it sounds cool, do check out my interview with the dev and his upcoming game repose. But other than that, Feel free to follow me on Twitter, argue with me about my takes, and, you know, keep uh, <laughs> keep an eye out for the articles I put out, because, frankly, the devs making these games deserve to have all eyes on them. That they do. Hopefully next week I will have Jay back, and I will see you then. Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. If you enjoy the show, please rate us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod for show updates. You can also join our Discord channel, Safe Room Podcast, to chat with us and other horror fans about the genre we all love. You can also drop us an email over at saferoompod at gmail.com if you'd like to share your thoughts on a game we're going to cover. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next Monday.